Good morning, you all. How's it going this morning? As Mike said, my name is Tim, and I'm happy to be here with you today. Um, over the past few months, we've gotten to know a couple of members here, and like your, your search team, I mean, and it's been a sweet time. Got to hang out with some of your ministry leaders yesterday. Got to meet your staff maybe three weeks ago, maybe a month ago. They're fantastic. Yeah? Yeah? That's, this is not pandering, by the way. This is legitimate. Like, they're, they're for you. Like, they're fiercely for you. And so some of the questions that they asked were rather pointed because they care about each other and they care about you. And so... God is doing something really amazing, really cool here at Hazelwood Baptist Church. If you've got a Bible with you today, open up to Isaiah 46, please. Isaiah 46, we're going to read the entirety of it in just a moment. Um, again, while Mike was sharing a little bit about me, I have, I've done ministry now for a, a while in a variety of capacities. One of, the, one of the coolest ways that I got to serve was with a not-for-profit recovery program, faith-based recovery program in Louisville, Kentucky. First as a program aide, and then as a case manager, and then as biblical counselor. And so working with men, um, some homeless, some not, they know the pain, though, that addiction can bring, like divorce, um, losing their kids, um, draining a bank account, Losing their life. I'm thinking about two particular men right now that I got really close to while I was there. Um, one fought back against heroin for about a decade. And uh, while he was in our program, he finished the first phase. It was fantastic. He was doing really well. And when he got alone, moved into one of our apartments in the back of our, of our building, the second phase of our program, he kind of disengaged from folks. And a friend of his gave him something. And, and he overdosed, right? Another friend of uh, mine, I, I can call him a friend, fought back against alcoholism. And like, what a champion, right? In the Christian life, sanctification doesn't equal perfection. It doesn't mean that we've arrived, Amen. right? Amen. That's not what that means. Dane Ortland would say it like this, sanctification is fighting. And if you're fighting, you're winning, Amen. right? This man, goodness gracious, he fought and fought. He leaned into friends and he found good, healthy community. But friends, like it took a toll on his body, the abuse that he went through. And the last time I saw him was in a hospital bed and he died of cirrhosis. So this isn't a sermon today. We're, we're not necessarily talking about addiction. Paul David Tripp, though, in his book, Instruments in the Hands of the Redeemer, he said it like this, whatever rules the heart, your heart, my heart, Whatever rules our hearts will exercise inescapable influence 
over that person's life and behavior. Whatever is most important, whatever we run to in times of trouble, motivates us to do particular things. It's why we do what we do, right? Or maybe, and this is a risky move, do not beat me up after the service, please. Please don't do that. Uh, please don't vote no because of this quote. But this is a quote from a New York Yankee pitcher who said, you spend a great deal of time gripping a, a baseball and it takes some time until after you realize it's the baseball that's been gripping you. Right? You feel that? Beautiful things, good things, wonderful things, things that we should celebrate and enjoy in our life can really take a place of dominance and control in our heart, can't they? What I learned about people and working in that kind of environment is everyone's broken. Everyone has fault, like issues that they're working through. Like I know a little bit about this area, like there's been some like social upheaval, right? Over the past couple of years. Nationally, we, we, I mean, people are getting married, but marriage is dissolved too, right? People in addiction and recovery programs just might be more honest about the things that they struggle with. That doesn't mean that they're honest about what they're trying to get from you necessarily, but it means that they're open about the stuff that goes on in them. And so you and I, living in southern Indiana, rural southern Indiana, you and I, we have neighbors who are plagued by all sorts of things that run to all sorts of things for to try to get some semblance of control in their life, to try to bring peace in the midst of the storm, and it doesn't work. That's why there's relational fallout, there's social upheaval. That's why there's so much brokenness in the world. And so then we're left with the natural question, who can possibly carry our burdens? Who can do that? When everything else checks out and fails, surely there's someone that's able to. In the passage that we're looking at today, it answers the question. You're reading it on the screen right now. It reads, he's worthy because he can carry. Who's worthy? Jesus is worthy. Jesus is worthy. Not just beautiful, but he's worth the most important place in your life. Why? Because he can carry absolutely everything that goes on in your life. Your burdens, your anxiety, your issues, your sin, you. Jesus can carry you. So if you're able to today, would you stand out of reverence for God's word? Look, I, like, I know it's in view of a call. You're, we're gonna talk later today, right? But you're not interested in hearing about me. Like we hear from the word. And this is what the Lord has for us today. This is God's word to us this morning. Bell bows down and Nebo stoops. Their idols are on beasts and livestock. These things you carry are born as burdens on weary beasts. They stoop, they bow down together. They cannot save the burden. 
but themselves go into captivity. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb. Even to your old age, I am he, and to the gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made, I will bear, I will carry, and I will save. I'm going to read that again. God says to his people in the worst place that they've been historically, he says this, I have made, I will bear, I will carry, and I will save. You feel that? To whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that way me be alike? Those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh out the scales and the silver in the scales, they hire a goldsmith and he makes it into a god. Then they fall down and worship. They lift it to their shoulders and they carry it. They set it in its place and it stands there. It cannot move from its place. And if one cries to it, it doesn't answer or save him from his trouble. But hear this. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to your mind. You transgressors, remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is none other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times things not yet done saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all of my purpose. Calling a bird of prey from the east and a man of my counsel from a far country. I've spoken and I will bring to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. Listen to me, you stubborn of heart, you who are far from righteousness. I will bring my righteousness. It's not far off, and my salvation will not delay. I will put salvation in Zion for Israel, my glory. This is God's word to us this morning. You can be seated. So I'll give you my outline up front. Can I do that for those of you that are taking notes? There are four things I want you to pay attention to. All right, the first one, you see it right up there. False rescuers do not save. They can't. It's impossible for them to do so. False rescuers cannot save. Rather, they enslave. They make us slaves. The second thing, if God made you, he can rescue you. God made you, he can rescue you. Three, running to false rescuers is an intentional process. It's not a slippery slope. It, there, there, there's a method behind it. And finally, no one can change you like Jesus because there's no one like Jesus. There's no one like him. So let's get down to business, right? So the first one, false rescuers don't save. They make slaves, right? Right? And so naturally, the question you might be thinking of then is, Tim, what do you mean by false rescue? Or what does that mean? And so the biblical language that we might use is idolatry, right? And that's, that's what you're getting a vibe for in this passage right now. That's what they're dealing with. They, they named two specific gods in the Babylonian pantheon, right? You have Bel, who is also called Marduk in some places. And he is supposed to be the chief god in Babylon, and also going back, way back to Samaria. Big deal, right? He also has another guy called his son, maybe, probably, historically, named Nebo. 
I'm referring to something that stands in the place of God. And so when the going gets tough, who is it that we run to, right? You feel that now? We feel this all the way back when you're going to the very beginning of Isaiah. Isaiah 1, verses 3 and 4, this is what God says to Judah through the prophet. What's he say? Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity. These were supposed to be the most free people on planet earth. And he says that they're bound now. Why? When you read the rest of the book, one of the reasons why is because they've traded the truth for a lie. They've went from the living God who rescued them from Egypt and went to gods made of stone and gold and wood. The kingdom of Israel at this time is broken and fragile and Judah was about to suffer exile. And the load that they had been carrying is only amplified by the fact that they now have these heavy stone monstrosities that they're about to carry with them into exile, believing, oh goodness gracious gods, won't you rescue us? Maybe if we carry you along the way, maybe you'll finally hear us. Do you hear the insanity behind that? It's bananas, right? But what can happen is us in the 21st century, we can look down our noses at a people who didn't know how the world really worked, right? They didn't have amazing advancements in medical technology and all that stuff. And so they were making these things, praying and believing that their gods would rescue their babies from death in the midst of childbirth, right? They were dependent upon crops. I live in rural Southern Indiana. I don't grow a thing, okay? That doesn't happen. But they did, that was their livelihood. And Paul, he's talking to a church, the, 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 the Colossians, right? What does he say? Colossians 3, 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Feel this. Whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual morality, impurity, lust, evil desires, or, and greed, which is idolatry. This is where we find Judah. We can't look down our nose at them. We do the same kinds of things when we feel the pressure, don't we? But you and I are made for someone more and better, someone who can actually save the day, right? Imagine being made for someone that is otherworldly. Imagine being made for someone that's actually able to sustain you. Actually think about being in connection and relationship with them. I'm from South Florida. I spent my formative years there. I, I, I love it. It's great to visit. And... <laughs> I'm not like an expert in like uh, marine biology. I like whales though. 
they're amazing. And there are few things in creation today that can rival both the size and the beauty of, of whales. There, there, there's, there are few things that are bigger than them in the, that, that have ever existed, at least on our earth, in so far as I know, right? But tell me something that's more beautiful than hearing songs of whales when they're underwater singing with one another in chorus. There's nothing like it on the planet. They're beautiful. They're made to live in the water. But did you know if they stay in their environment way too long and dependent upon their environment way too long, what happens? You can talk back, it's okay. <laughs> They're not fish, right? They don't have gills. They have lungs. They're mammals, like you and me. You and me need to be able to breathe. And so do they. A sperm whale, when it's hunting, it's got a max of 90 minutes before it needs to come up and resurface. Do you feel that? The environment that they live in, if they're too dependent upon it, will kill them. Becoming too dependent on their natural habitat, their normal way of life, thinking apart from God, would end up killing Judah. Judah. Your friends and your family members, the neighbors that you have right now, they run to all sorts of things looking for comfort and rescue, and it doesn't come. The cure is worse, in fact. And it drags them all the way to the bottom. You go on further, though. Read through the next couple of verses. What happens? If he made you, he can save you. If Yahweh, the creator of heaven and earth, who, as Mike said earlier today, speaks things into existence, actually made everything that you see, then he can rescue the worst of us too. He can rescue anyone. That's what he can do. Three and four. Look at the repetition of the words that are being used here, right? Like carried and born, saved. There's something dramatically different though in the kind of language that Isaiah uses about God though, right? What is it? What does he say? Every other so-called rescuer, every so-called God ends up being created and he is timeless and limitless. And his commitment stands a test of time. So let me give you a, a little bit more about, about how I've seen this actually happen in my life. So I came to faith. Uh, I was about 15. I was about to turn 16, August 2001. And I love talking to people about Jesus. Like, this is, let, let's do it. Um, I love seeing my friends come to faith in Jesus. I love talking to them about it. That there were family members of mine that were kind of like, let's, let's not do that kind of thing. Until a couple of years later, they started opening about, up about religious things that they used to do, right? When they were younger, like pray and go to church and this, that, and the other, right? They prayed to ask Jesus into their heart. But there was no significant, there was no real life change in them. And so when trials come, they were floored by them. and They didn't know what to do. When people would take advantage of them, 
They became hardened and bitter and angry. Depressed and sad. Suicidal. And I pled for this person like for decades. I gave the gospel away to them for decades and I got really discouraged at a point. I'm like, I don't want, I don't know if you can actually do what you say you can do, Yahweh. And wouldn't you know it, this was right before Easter last year, someone gives the gospel away to my mom. My mom hears the gospel and it's like she trusts in Jesus now for the actual first time. And so now what happens? You have the God of the universe who sees everything and nothing is hidden from him, right? His eyes are always on her, always and forever, not because of his displeasure with her, but because he loves her and protects her and provides for her. That gives her peace. The guilt that she had because she didn't always get it right as a single mom starts to melt away. It doesn't mean that my mom's a perfect person. I'm telling you, like she reads the Bible now more than me. Don't hold that against me, right? (laughs) She loves the word, not because she earns anything from reading the word. She doesn't earn Jesus's favor and grace. Dallas Willard said it like this, grace is against earning. It's not against effort, right? She loves putting in effort now to knowing the one that can rescue her. Everything else has failed. And so don't take it from me. Maybe you don't want to take it from Judah. You could take it from my mom though. Jesus can change you. Jesus can rescue you. If he made you, he can save you. And so Hazelwood in a world that's broken and very dark And it seems like it gets darker even at your school where you're going to school, college. I heard uh, something about like the young adults, like someone's going to college soon, maybe possibly before the summer. I hope that happens. Good luck on your application. (laughs) This world is very dark, but the light of the world has come. And a truth like this, it pushes in 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 specific ways, two specific ways, implications. One is if you deal with significant sin or sorrow or anxiety and you don't think you can beat it, this passage says he will carry you, right? He will save. You don't have to be held captive by it anymore. He says that he's walked with his people and he's happy to walk with you. Number two, though, Bigger implication, you and I, and I do this, I feel this. I am prone to not share the gospel. It's a temptation for me when I think that people are not gonna receive Jesus like that. And a passage like this says, if he did make them, he can save them. The worst of the worst that we think, right? Jesus can rescue them too. So notice though, Five through seven, right? Notice though that Judah misses this. It's a big swing and a miss here, right? God has carried, false rescuers don't. So running to false rescuers is an intentional process and it starts with forgetting 
What is it that has been forgotten? The truth. What God has said, what God said that he would do, what God said, what, like what he's about, who he is, reminding them of what he has done, reminding them of what he was going to do. That's, that's really at the heart of sin and idolatry, isn't it? This is what sin is. Sin is choosing to disbelieve God about what he said concerning himself ourselves, and the world around us. That's at the heart of idolatry. Who can carry? Who can bear? Who can save? That's not what Judah said. It's not what Judah said, right? And that's why they're in the situation that they were in. So it's a call again. Don't think that it can't happen to us. A people who God covenanted with, who God rescued from slavery, who God promised amazing blessing, who God fed in the desert, like they still went after other things. And we can too. So it's a, it's a call for us to stay alert and aware and remember what God has told us, right? Do you see how intentional the process is, right? What happens? They go from, let me get some money. Let's weigh it out. Let's go to a guy that can make this thing. Like, a, I, I got this vision for a God. Maybe he can dress it up a little bit. He makes it. He spends his money to get it made into the thing that he wants it to be made. And then, again, he carries it home with him into a place of prominence in his home, and it stays there. That's not happenstance. That is no slippery slope. What would it look like for you and me today? It might look like this. If you were to imagine your heart being a massive throne room, the most ornate and perfect for a king, and in the middle of it, you have a very, very large staircase. The tippy top of it is a throne. The most beautiful throne that you've ever seen. Who do you think would sit on the throne? Who? That's right. That's, that's what we would want to say, right? In the throne room, you have all of your hopes and dreams and desires your family, your job, security, safety, vacation, preferences, all of this stuff on the ground floor, all subordinate to Jesus' rule, right? How insane would it be for us to watch as one of these desires start to sprout legs and climb the staircase to take the throne? Friends, that's what happens every time something else other than Jesus gets a hold of our life. Of course, we've never say that Jesus isn't our king. Jesus is the one that purchased us and saved us and gives us a hope and a future, right? But in our practice, what happens is other things gain our attention, 
Other things control our calendar. Other things control our checkbook. Other things control the conversations that we have with lost people in our community. And so this is a moment of evaluation then, right? Judah would say that God was the king of their heart, but in practice, their behavior betrayed them. Who is the king of your heart? And maybe so that we're not like trying to squirm out of it a little bit, maybe you can ask someone else that's next to you that knows you. You can ask them, who would you say is the king of my heart? They got to be honest though. It's not. It's not, it's not accidental, it's intentional. And so this is a call for us to to keep rooted in what he has told us and taught us, right? Why? Because no one can change you like Jesus because there's no one like Jesus. The section, it concludes with a call to repentance and it always starts with remembering what God has told us, right? We remember what we've been told, that I am God and there's no one like me. I'm the one that's writing all of the history books. I'm the one that's guiding history to its perfect conclusion. Who can you possibly compare me to? Everything that I've said would happen, will happen. And that means two things, both the bad, because of what happened with Judah and their infidelity, right? Bad times were coming, but there's still good that comes too. The good comes too. I will bring my righteousness. I will bring my righteousness to those who are far off from it. My salvation will never depart from my people. And so understand like the southern kingdom was about to fall. Judah was about to crumble. How on earth would salvation be brought to them when they're about to leave the presence of the temple where God, where God actually put his presence? How would he make them right? When you read the rest of the story, what happens? Judah goes into exile. They eventually come back. But it doesn't fix all of their problems. There's still brokenness in the world today. The solution was the great king and ruler of the universe exiles himself and leaves his throne. And he comes to a world that he created. And he lives amongst people that he created. And he spends time with the broken And he gives them compassion and teaches them, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's what he says. When Jesus is about to be arrested, he fulfills one of the scriptures that says, I've never lost one that you have given me. Jesus' grip is really strong. Some of you, some of us, I remember, Debbie might remember this, I remember thinking about, I can lose my salvation. Why would Jesus want to put up with me forever? 
No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. That, an implication of that is you can't jump out of his father's hand. Peter, who knows what it's like to crumble under the weight of anxiety and pressure, he wrote to his brothers and sisters in the dysphoria who were about to be persecuted for loving Jesus. And he says, you cast your anxieties on him because he's strong. That's what you do. You don't have to fold under pressure. Jesus can change you because there's no one like him. Do you believe that? Jesus can change you. Take your anxiety, stress, worry, fear, shame, and guilt. The natural question is, has he? Has Jesus changed you? You might have followed Jesus for a while, some time, 30, 40, 50 years maybe. And sometimes we stumble and fall. And sometimes we go wayward, right? And sometimes we go to other things to give us purpose and meaning. And we forget that Jesus has already given that to us. We go to other things for acceptance, right? And said, so Jesus calls us back. And so this is an opportunity for us to go to him in prayer and repentance and celebration, believing that he still welcomes us home, and that he's never let us go, right? This is also an invitation, though, for other people that if you are in here today and you've tried everything else to, like, get your life straight or something like that, it's not just a behavior problem that you have, friend. Like, your heart is sick, your heart is sick, and Jesus wants to make it well. Sin has separated you from God. The biggest burden that we have ever tried to carry on our own isn't just our anxiety and panic attacks. It's that we've been separated from God because of the things that we've done. And Jesus wants to bear that burden for you too. And so Jesus would say, come, trust me, know me, love me, because I love you. Would you do that today? And ask everyone, if you wouldn't mind, pray with me for a moment. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Pray and think, meditate on what we just heard from this passage today and ask the Spirit, Lord, what do you want me to do? How am I to respond in light of this passage? What do you wanna do in me? What do you wanna do through me? Jesus, I might be prone to run to other things for comfort and ease and not run to you for strength. Jesus, would you teach me how to have gentle strength by learning from you and leaning into you and trusting you? Friend, if you've never trusted Jesus before, Jesus would say, come.